After Nancy reads our two lessons for this morning, we will sing the hymn, How Clear Is Our Vocation, Lord. Well, if our vocation as individual Christians and as a church is not clear, we can gain some clarity as we let our fingers do the walking through the great lessons to be learned in, our, in the Bible. But the lessons from our two scripture passages for this morning are also brought home to us by two short walks out the front door of this meeting house, just north up to the fountain area uh, by the, the Four Corners, and just south on Main Street, right across the street from the Micah House and Chapel. Have you ever read the historic marker that sits on the south end of the Fountain Green? First, on one side, the sign describes the founding of Glastonbury, and then also some of the industries for which the town is noted. But then at the very end of that marker, it makes reference to the Smith women, Hannah and her five amazing daughters. With their father a prominent clergyman in town, and with a mother active in the anti-slavery and women's suffrage movements, the five daughters clearly knew of the prophet Amos, and the very clear vocation which that sometimes angry prophet calls us to. You see, we have this good and friendly prophet named Micah who asks us to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with God. But the prophet Amos has the unenviable task of proclaiming the pointed word of God's divine intervention as oppression was running rampant to the nation of Israel. Amos was angry at the nation as well as the faith community, both of whom had, who had forgotten their vocation to care for the poor, the orphaned, the widowed, and the foreigner. Simply put, the nation of Israel had lost its way. Well, when you lose your way, you look for some marker, some roadside sign, some pile of stones, perhaps, to get you back on track. Across from that Micah house at the home of Karen and Brian Davis, there is a Karen at the end of the driveway, a pile of stones. Now, Karens have been used since prehistoric times to be a landmark, a roadside marker to guide people who have lost their way and who might have even forgotten where they've come from. God knows that the nations and that people of faith can lose their way. In our first lesson that Nancy will read, God instructs Joshua to have one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to gather a stone and lay them out in the middle of the River Jordan. That way, when the children in the future ask, what do those stones mean? the people of Israel would be able to say where they have come from, what God has done for them, and what God in return expects from the people. You see, sometimes we do need reminders about who we are and where we are going when we have lost our way. The first reading will be from the Old Testament, page 194, the book of Joshua, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. 
When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood. Carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight. Then Joshua summoned the twelve men from the Israelites, whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulders, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. The Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord told Joshua, and carried them over with them to the place where they camped and lay them down there. The second reading is from Amos. You can find it on page 839 of the Old Testament. Um, we'll start with chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offered me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take them from me, the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. May the good news of God's love be with you. On August 3rd, the day after that report on CBS Evening News about the little boy, the flag boy from West Hartford, Finn, the next day, the CBS News was covering the deadly shooting in El Paso at Walmart, where 22 people were killed and another 24 injured. And the day after that, in Dayton, nine were killed, 27 injured. And then, now just a few weeks ago, two people were killed and more than a dozen injured at the Texas A&M homecoming party. After that most recent shooting in Texas, a woman who witnessed the scene said through her tears, it's not surprising, it's the country we live in now, this is what our country has become. Award-winning journalist and active UCC churchman on Long Island, 85-year-old Bill Moyers, he's only won 30 Emmy Awards and nine Peabody Awards, he put it this way when I heard him speak this summer, right after those shootings. Civilization is not what just happens, it's what we make happen. 
the frequent sound of gunfire repeatedly echoes a breakdown of society, a paralysis of the will, which is a scourge of any civilization. What has happened to our democracy, it appears to have lost its way. Bill Moyer's wonderment about whether we have lost our way as a nation was echoed in a new song by singer-songwriter Dana L Lana Del Rey. Lana Del Rey. In the immediate days following those two mass shootings this summer in El Paso and Dayton, Del Rey spontaneously wrote and released a new song on Instagram. All the proceeds from that song will aid the victims of those shootings. Delray's song, titled Looking for America, begins by describing a scenic road trip through Northern California. I left for Fresno. It was quite a scenic drive. Pulled over to watch the children in the park. We used to only worry about them after dark. I'm still looking for my own version of America one without the gun, where the flag can freely fly. No bombs in the sky, only fireworks when you and I collide. It's just a dream I had in mind. It's just a dream I had in mind. Amos's song, Amos's lament, Amos's dream is just the same as Lana Del Rey's dream. And I think that the dream that God has in mind for our nation, for all nations, is that dream of freedom, of opportunity, liberty, equality, inclusion, peace and justice for all of God's children. It is the dream of justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Advocating for justice, justice is not just an abstract term. Advocating for justice as individual persons of faith, but also as a church community, is clearly the vocation that we have from God. And the church is called into society to do that work. Early on in my ministries, after graduating from seminary, after serving a couple churches, I decided to answer a call in the 19, early 1980s to work in the national setting of the United Church of Christ in the agency then called the Office for Church and Society, based in Washington, D.C. My job is to travel around the country about 75% of the time, encouraging the churches, associations, and conferences of our denomination to be involved in the issues of the day racial and economic justice, arms control, apartheid, immigration and refugees, the environment, some of the same issues we're dealing with today. And as the name of the office implies, my role was to encourage UCC members and churches to be involved in society and to be directly involved by advocating for public policies which live up to the biblical mandates of the Old and New Testaments, Amos's call for justice. Well, what about the separation of church and state, you might rightly ask? 
Well, I think this doctrine has been mis misrepresented over time. Yes, the framers of the Constitution were intent on keeping the state out of the workings of the church and from not favoring one religion over another, but not to stop the church from being involved in governmental and societal affairs. For example, our own predecessor body, the Congregation, Congregational Church, for over 300 years in courts and in legislative bodies has advocated for the rights of slaves, women, child laborers, immigrants, the poor, workers in factories, people who love someone of the same gender, the disabled, and so much more. Well, in this national church position, I often was asked to make a presentation on the role of the church in society. So there I was on a West Coast swing to California, invited to talk about church and state in front of an audience of UCC members from around the Los Angeles area. There I was, wet behind my ears, a novice in this work in my late 20s, speaking to a mixed group of UCCers, young and old and in between. But since the convenient gathering place for this particular speaking engagement was the social hall of a UCC-built retirement community, there were a number of retired pastors, professors, theologians, seminary presidents, oh dear. <laughs> and not only that, on this day that this newbie was supposed to make the case for the church's moral and spiritual responsibility to be involved in public policy, there in the audience, I recognize John Bennett in his mid-80s, who was for 10 years the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York City, an internationally known theologian and ethicist. And what was he most famous for? He literally wrote the book. <laughs> Christian Ethics and Social Policy, Christians and the State. He was very, very nice to me. He was nice to me. He was a very gracious older man. In his book, 1946, Christian Ethics and Social Policy, this is what John Bennett wrote. The attitude of the church to the problems of social justice and to the international order is one essential test of its health as a Christian church. No degree of depth in theology, no degree of warmth in piety can compensate for failure in social sensitivity. No degree of depth in theology, no degree of warmth in piety can compensate for failure in social sensitivity. Now, in an if a nation, take the United States, for example, has lost some of its social sensitivity, maybe lost its way like the people of Israel, perhaps it can find, if not piles of stone, maybe some monuments of stone and bronze that can act as a cairn to guide it back to its foundational values and principles. 
So has our nation lost its way in terms of the foundational values for which our veterans served and for which so many men and women gave their last full measure of devotion? Have we lost our way in terms of justice, rolling down like waters, of welcoming the stranger and the foreigner, of protecting the weak, and of defending the widowed and the orphaned? Or perhaps we do need to be reminded by some marker, some monument, some pile of stone, reminded about what America is proudly known and admired for around this world. Earlier this summer, back in June, my daughter Emily and I went to the dedication of one such stone, one such marker. It was a historic plaque and bronze statue in honor of my great uncle, Arthur Chase. You see, Arthur Chase, the son of an Episcopal priest, was a beloved teacher and headmaster at Berkshire School in Sheffield, Mass. So beloved was he that they changed the mascot of the school from wildcat to a bear. And the bear was the big bronze statue that was dedicated on that beautiful June day. For a church, for a school to change its mascot, that's no minor thing. But Arthur clearly had an impact on generations of young men at the Berkshire School. Arthur was a big, burly man, a bear of a man, an outdoorsman, coached football and hockey, and ran a maple sugaring hut. But he also would get up in front of his English and Latin classes, and he would recite Shakespeare and poetry and other literature from memory. And Arthur also wrote poetry, and next to that larger-than-life bear is a rock monument. And Arthur's poem that the admiring alumni chose for the bronze plaque is powerful. Though written probably 50 years ago now, this amazing poem could have been written today for our hearing to guide us as a nation in turbulent times but also to guide you and me as people of faith, and yes, to guide this church as we continue to be committed to the call to us. I invite you to listen to that poem that's on the plaque. We see frontiers pushed to ends of space, no oceans left to cross, no peaks to scale, no undiscovered lands between the poles. Our perilous frontiers are deep within. Frontiers of heart and mind will test and try new pioneers. The needs of young, of old, of lonely, of poor and weak challenge our hearts, as did the hideous howling wilderness. No room for hate or hurt. This frontier shouts an ultimatum to the years ahead. Friends, as this beloved community that we dearly call First Church, we are called into the hideous howling wilderness 
of our nation and of our society. We are the new pioneers in our hearts and minds will always be tested and tried. But our calling is so very clear. The needs of young and old, lonely, poor and weak are challenging us as a nation and as a church. There is absolutely no room for hate or hurt. Friends, let us never stop looking for the America that we love. And let us continue to be the country and the church that we are called to be. Amen.